Insects are all around us. Many live right under our noses and are just waiting to be discovered. In spite of their small size, insects are among the most interesting and adaptable creatures on planet Earth. We have close encounters with them every day, whether we realize it or not. To most people, these creatures are just bugs. But to entomologist Dr. Tim Gibb, they are spineless wonders. And he's here to help you look beyond the bug to the fascinating life of the insect. Dr. Tim will see you now. Recently, the media lit up with news that kissing bugs are on the loose in the United States and are spreading a horrific tropical disease called Chagas disease. Like most sensational news stories, the panic is overblown and the actual risk of contracting the disease here in the Midwest is practically non-existent. Nevertheless, I have received many telephone calls and physical samples at the diagnostic laboratory asking me to identify insects and provide assurance that kissing bugs have not invaded. In every case, these sightings and samples have turned out to be common household insects that, though they bear a slight resemblance to the kissing bug, are completely harmless. The most commonly submitted lookalikes are box elder bugs. They're especially common during the fall. They enter and reside in homes throughout the winter, so may be especially easy to confuse with the rare kissing bugs. Box elder bugs may be a nuisance, but they don't bite or harm people. In any case, the kissing bug story is valuable in that it promotes awareness and vigilance when it comes to insects inside our homes. In contrast to box elder bugs, kissing bugs are slightly bigger, about a half inch long, and, and their flat abdomen is somewhat cup-shaped with orange to reddish-yellow horizontal markings. But most importantly, kissing bugs belong to a family of insects that have a characteristically long, slender head with a very sharp rostrum, or a beak, that is normally tucked underneath the, the head. This beak is a modified mouth part that the insect uses to pierce and suck fluids out of their prey. Several species belong to the kissing bug group called Triatoma. Most are quite common in Central and South America, but we've always found one or two members of this group living throughout the lower half of the United States. We most often call them cone-nose bugs or blood-sucking cone noses, names that are not nearly as endearing as kissing bugs. Triatamine bugs are unique because they feed on blood of mammals, in, including humans, birds, and reptiles. These bugs feed at night, so it's uncommon to actually see the insect. By day, they hide in brush piles under tree bark or under rocks. Outdoor pet kennels and rodent dens are common hiding places. However, the adults are attracted to artificial lights during the summer and early fall. When they come to house lights, they sometimes take up residence in furniture or in the structure itself. If they find food sources, they're happy, and they lay eggs and make their little bug families. 
Not all kissing bugs behave exactly the same. While no one would choose any of these bugs for a family pet, one species has two particularly bad behaviors. First, it is attracted to feed on humans. Second, it has a despicable habit of defecating either right before or right after it feeds. And this is definitely bad behavior. Where or why it picked up this nasty habit, nobody seems to know. What we do know, however, is that this behavior is at the root of what causes Chagas disease to spread. Here's how it works. The bug finds its way into a human home and sets up residence. It becomes active at night and, because it feeds on blood, has learned to key in on the carbon dioxide that is exhaled by a sleeping person. The bug bites the person most often near the face and lips, which is why it's called a kissing bug. At the same time, it very inconsiderately deposits its feces right on the skin where it is feeding. Then, the victim accidentally, either by itching or scratching, smears the pathogen into his or her mouth or nose or into the open wound created by the bite infection follows. It seems like a simple process. All that is required is the, the disease pathogen, a vector, which is the bug, and a host person. When all three of these are brought together, bam, we have a chance of getting Chagas disease. But the real question is, what are the chances of actually getting Chagas disease here in the United States? When we discuss chances and odds, we're really talking about probability. We can't predict many events with total certainty. The best that we can say is how likely they are to happen, using the idea of probability. And to talk with a scientist about probability, even when the probability of something occurring is extremely low, or even minuscule, such as, will the moon fall out of the sky tomorrow? Scientists never say never. And bear that in mind when you ask a scientist about the chances of Chagas disease becoming epidemic in the United States. They'll probably never say it's impossible, even though they may say the probability is extremely low. And the reason they are comfortable saying extremely low is because of conditional probability. Conditional probability simply means that certain outside conditions affect probability and in the case of determining if Chagas disease will become a problem in the United States, it is those outside conditions that really affect the probability. For example, we know that the main species of kissing bug responsible for transmitting Chagas disease is seldom found here. It is better adapted for more tropical climes. And even in South and Central America, where it's most commonly found, it only becomes a problem when it enters human homes and resides there in large numbers. Homes in the United States are constructed with windows and walls and doors that keep most insects out. 
We normally have air conditioning, so we can keep doors and windows closed or screened, especially at night when lights are on. That's not always so outside the United States. So the probability of encountering Chagas disease spreading kissing bugs in the United States is low. And add to that the fact that only a small percentage of these bugs carry the parasite that causes Chagas disease. And the probability becomes even lower. Further, to become infected, the bug must have fed upon a rodent or another host animal that already has the parasite in its blood. So even if a kissing bug happens to hitchhike into your state, find a way into your house, it still must also have fed on an infected host for it to become infected. The parasite itself also has a low probability of survival. Once acquired, it must reproduce inside the cell bodies of the kissing bug and develop sufficiently to move onto the rectal cell wall, invade the feces there, and be excreted with the feces. What's more, the feces must be deposited in sufficient quantities on the host's skin and close enough to where it can be smeared, by chance, into a wound or across the mucous membranes. Even if the pathogen makes it into the body of a human host, it must there cross a network of proteins that line and protect the exterior of the cells in order to contact and invade the host cells. All considered, it's fair to say that odds of this all coming together are not good. Even in places with large kissing bug populations, human health and disease experts say that only one in a thousand bites result in infection. Others say odds are even worse. One in 2,500 bites may result in infection. So why do scientists say the probability of a Chagas disease outbreak in the United States is very low? Let's recap. First, Chagas disease is spread mainly by only one species of kissing bug and that species is rarely found in the United States and almost never occurs in homes here. Second, the transmission of the disease requires previously infected bugs, whereas the reservoir of Chagas disease pathogens here is very low. Third, considering that it's actually not easy to catch Chagas disease, even if bitten by an infected bug, it's safe to say that Chagas disease probably will not become epidemic in the United States. Still, scientists will never say never at least the probability of them never saying never. This has been Dr. Tim with my latest spineless curiosity. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next month to learn about another spineless wonder. <laughs>